What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jared Jackson Jr.'s jaw Morants, Joe Johnson's jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays we've got for Days. Josh, how you doing? I'm a big fan of your intramural champions shirt repping our team. Thank you. I am a champion. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Glorious times. Glorious times. Absolutely rode the bench to that. And it, it, I was we, not, we, we, we were not the reason that we won our intramural championship. But that is, that is I true. was there. I was there. And and really, really, if if you just show up for all or almost all of your intramural games, you should feel good about taking the I am the champion. Because that's, that's yes. the biggest hurdle, right? Is just, Correct getting the people who on a random Saturday in September and committed to a intramural basketball team, or in this case, a co-ed intramural soccer team. As long as you can get that person who committed in September to show up seven times in a row when they're supposed to in late November and early December, then you've done your, then, then we've, we've done a, we've done justified. I will never forget. The fact that we got to enter to the Champions League theme song. It was yep. a whole production for that final. Too funny. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Um, <laughs> and I wear it with pride. That's 2018-19 uh, intramural, cha- intramural season at, uh, <laughs> at Butler University. Um, week two of interviews, uh, the second stage, if you will, of our college basketball preview series. We've been through all six of the power conferences, just Josh and I, and we're now circling back to talk about each conference with somebody who follows either a team in that conference closely or the conference as a whole. This week is the Pac-12 conference. Real quick on the Pac-12. The Pac-12 football conference yep. this year is unbelievable they've got like 11 teams in the top 25 it's unbelievable <laughs> the pac 12 is going out with a bang and i mean the stage is set for a pretty at least interesting and potentially pretty good for pac 12 standards basketball season too at least on the men's side yeah yeah pac 12 is is not going quietly here <laughs> and uh, like i'm pretty sure in the ap top 25 this week you have let's see is Texas really third in this week's rank? That's crazy. Yes. Wow. How about that? Um, Washington is seventh. USC is eighth. Oregon is ninth. There you go. Three of the top nine. Now, granted, zero of the top six, but three of the top nine. Uh, four of the top ten. Utah is tenth. So six, seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, and ten, all Pac-12 teams. Um, 16, Washington. That's a Pac-12 team. 19, Oregon State. That's a Pac-12 team. Washington State, you mean? Yeah, who'd I say? Washington. You gave yeah, Washington, Washington two State. spots. Sorry. Well, the state of Washington has two spots. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Washington State and then Oregon State. There you go. That's like six of the top 25. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Well, Pac-12 college basketball on the men's side is the topic of conversation today with one Connor Hope at Hoops Hope CBB on Twitter. He's a contributor to the Almanac. He was once upon a time part of Busting Brackets, the fan-sided college basketball page. He is now a big part of both the Almanac and the Heat and Heat Check College Basketball, co-host of the Heat Check 
college basketball podcast called the Heat Check Hangout. He's all over the place, and um, he's also become the guy that we go to when we want to talk Pac-12 hoops. He was here last year. He's here this year, and um, it was uh, it was good to to um, send off the Pac-12 in their last season, probably ever with uh, with Connor one more time. Absolutely. Yeah, always really good conversation with him. Love his passion for the Pac-12. It gets me excited. Absolutely, absolutely. We don't have to, we don't have to pull teeth with Connor when it comes to to talking about about the Pac-12. So that's um that's something we very much enjoy. Without further ado, let's uh, let's go talk to Connor about the Pac-12. Joining us now from many many different places. He checked college basketball, the hangout uh, writer for the almanac. He's Connor hope. He is on Twitter at hoops, hope CBB. Connor, how are you today? Doing great, doing great. You know, the, the season's approaching uh, college football has already started. Um, we, we've got what nine weeks until the season starts. That's crazy. Um, so I, I'm excited. Yeah, snuck up on snuck up on me from sure for sure. I went from thinking it's quite a ways away to oh wow, it's it's actually quite close, kind of overnight. At least that's kind of how it, how it feels. It it always kind of sneaks up on me in that way. But um, it's 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 a very interesting year for the Pac-12 for lots of lots of reasons. So I, I just w- want to start kind of there across the conference as a whole. What do you like? What do you think this season is is going to feel like? Be like in this kind of you know on the on the doorstep of the end of the Pac-12. What do you think the vibe around this season is going to be? Um, kind of as we as we go through it, because it's the last season of uh, of the Pac-12 as we know it. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's going to feel different for different teams, right? For Arizona, USC, UCLA, even Colorado, you know, it's going to feel like we want to be that team that wins the final season of the Pac-12. Uh, obviously, Arizona, Colorado are going to one conference, Oregon, USC, UCLA are going to another. So they're not going to get to play each other two times a year for a title ever again. Um, For teams like Washington State, Oregon State, uh, it's going to suck. It's, you know, they're the two teams that are kind of left out in the cold right now, don't know what they're going to do. Um, There's been different talks about how they handle it, because if they can preserve the Pac-12, they can preserve the uh, tournament shares. Um, you know, maybe they reverse merge with the, with the mountain West. Uh, and then you've got the teams in the middle, right? Stanford and Cal, I think it's going to feel like any other season. Um, they, they, they're leaving the PAC 12 for the ACC, but they don't really have teams that I think can contend for a PAC 12 title. Stanford might sneak its way into the tournament. Uh, so, uh, I, I hope it's going to be a really exciting season because of all, all that's at stake, right? If you can win, you're potentially, potentially the last, uh, the last champion of the pack, whatever number, um, you know, it's, it's the pack 10 before the pack 12. So, but, you know, for some teams, it might just not feel that way. And, and, and that's unfortunate. Uh, but there's some really exciting players in the pack 12. So even if the teams and the competition and, and, and the chase for a title 
aren't necessarily as exciting as they have been in the past, which I don't think they will be. I think it'll be really exciting. Uh, you still got plenty of high level college basketball athletes that, you know, I think you could put up against the top players in almost any conference and, and the PAC 12 would be right there. One of the things that stands out to me about this conference this season is just the depth. And I think we even talked about this with you last season that, Outside of the the obvious, maybe three or four teams, there were a lot of question marks. You didn't necessarily feel great about some of the other teams. I look at this season, and I feel like I can talk myself into most of the conference being at least halfway decent, maybe getting into the NCAA tournament conversation, in addition to the, the UCLA's and Arizona's of the world that obviously are loaded with talent, USC as well. How optimistic are you about the conference as a whole and the Arizona states of the world, the Stanford's, the Utah's that this could be a conference where you're looking at six, seven, eight quality basketball teams, as opposed to some of the other years in recent memory, where it's more of four ish teams that you feel like are NCAA caliber. And then there's a significant drop off after that. Yeah. I think I said the other day that um, this season for the PAC 12 is probably the deepest in terms of NCAA tournament caliber teams that it has been since the 2015, 2016 season when they got seven in. Um, I could talk myself into, I think probably eight teams, uh, nine, if I stretched, you know, how I look at their, the, the quality of athlete on those teams. Um, and, and, you know, it's not super high, right? I think Arizona and USC are probably going to be the maybe Colorado are probably going to be the top 25 teams. Uh, UCLA, Oregon, probably top 30, 35. And then from there, it's, you know, can Washington pick up wins? Can Utah, can Stanford? Is Arizona State's rebuilt roster good enough to be what they were last year? Like, those are all the questions you have to answer. Um, but I do feel like it's, at least in the middle of the conference, it's the strongest middle the Pac-12 has had in almost a decade. That makes me feel feel good that I'm not off about that because that's kind of how I look at it too is there are – however it's going to shake out, there are just a lot of teams that – and I'm, I'm an optimistic person who likes to talk myself into teams. Josh knows this very well. And looking at the Pac-12, I really felt like I could could do that. And you mentioned the the top of the conference a little bit. That's where we wanted to go next. How do you see the top of, of the Pac-12 shaking out? It kind of feels like to me we've got probably four teams. You mentioned them, UCLA, USC, Arizona, Colorado, that are maybe a, a step above everybody else. How do you see those teams comparing to each other, and how do you kind of see the title race shaping up? Yeah, I had Arizona at the top even before uh, the Bronny James uh, health health scare. Um, but I, I think for me, Arizona, USC are probably a tier gap above Colorado, UCLA, and Oregon. Uh, and I would throw Oregon in there. I think the talent for Oregon is, you know, right there, especially the talent and the experience for Oregon, right? Colorado and UCLA are going to be heavily reliant on some freshmen. Oregon really, they have their trio of freshmen, but they're going to be reliant on a lot of their veteran guys uh, uh, to get the job done. So I think there's probably, a, it's probably two tiers for those five. Um, and obviously Colorado and potentially UCLA have the talent to jump into that 
upper tier if the freshmen deliver right away. Uh, but for me, I mean, the, the, the starting five that you have at, at, at Arizona, probably what, uh, Boswell, Caleb Love, Pell Larson, Kisha Johnson, and, and Umar Balo. I mean, that's, that's a starting five that if you don't, if you ignore the rest of the roster where Jaden Bradley's the only proven commodity on that bench, uh, that's a starting five that you could see making a, a, a potential final four run. I mean, it, it's that good. The, the depth there, especially with the way that Tommy Lloyd likes to play, is a little bit scary. And then for UCL, USC, uh, it's the same thing, right? You've got Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis. Uh, my guess is that Kobe Johnson, DJ Rodman, and Joshua Morgan probably start. Uh, Bronny James could potentially jump, you know, bump uh, one of those one of those wings out. But but I think coming off the bench, especially as he's going to come in probably mid season, um, if he does play. Uh, it is probably the right move, but but that again, that starting five is is so good, and I just don't feel the same way about the starting five of anyone else in that conference. What is your? How do you feel about Caleb Love as as a basketball player? He's kind of one of those guys for me that strikes me as for one reason or another that it's it's hard. Like he's just going to be the same player regardless of where he is and the system that he's in, like if he doesn't fit into kind of the mold of a system, it's going to, it's hard to kind of force the type of player that Caleb Love is into that. How do you think he kind of fits into the way that Tommy Lloyd runs his offense? Do you, you think he'll carry a lot of the kind all kind of the, the things that maybe, you don't love about Caleb Love or whether it's shot selection or just high volume. That's not always the most efficient. What kind of Caleb Love do you think we'll see at Arizona? Do you think there will be some, some evolution there or we're going to see a guy that looks very familiar from his time at, at Carolina? Probably a little bit of both, right? I mean, Caleb Love, if you want to make, if there's any player in the country that you can make a, a semi one for one comp, uh, with Caleb Love for it's Kirk Creesa, right? So <laughs> you're 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 losing a, a guy in Kirk Creesa that would shoot two for thirteen on a, on any given night, and, and replacing him with a guy that'll shoot one for thirteen if, if the opportunity is right. Um, I think having Boswell and Bradley there is going to do a lot to help rein in Caleb Love because remember at, at UNC. He could do whatever he wanted. He was not leaving that starting lineup. If if Tommy Lloyd finds that Caleb Love just isn't getting the job done, isn't distributing the ball well in transition, is taking ill-advised shots, you know, pulling up for, for random threes in transition when he has a lane to the basket, he, he's going to put him on the bench. He's going to start Bradley and Boswell over him if they're the ones that are more efficient and the ones that are actually buying into Arizona's uh Arizona's you know offense so while I do think Caleb Love's always going to be Caleb Love right he's going to have those games where he shoots 20% from the floor and you feel like he lost them the game Arizona's had that before and they've still been really good and I also feel like now Arizona which they didn't really before because Boswell was a freshman last year they didn't really have that guy who could spell Kirk Risa and force Kirk Risa off the floor 
Mm-hmm. Now Boswell is poised to be a breakout sophomore. Um, same with Jaden Bradley. So, so I feel like there's enough talent there where Caleb Love has to buy in on the offensive end to play an efficient basketball in order to stay on the floor for those 30 to 35 minutes that we're expecting him to get. One more thing on on Arizona, and this this might be just a complete overreaction, but and and I am I asked this question with the with the caveat that I don't I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. Tommy Lloyd in his first two seasons at Arizona has gone thirty three and four and twenty eight and seven, and those are those are two really uh really successful seasons then you get to the NCAA tournament and the thing that we remember most about that that run two years ago was that awesome game that they played against TCU in the round of 32 and then of course we know what happened last year and a loss to Princeton does it get awkward this year if Arizona is really good and then isn't it then is underwhelming in the tournament, or is that just a complete overreaction and Tommy Lloyd's got plenty of time before we start asking that kind of question? I think he's got plenty of time. You know, remember, they never made a Final Four under Sean Miller. Right. And Sean Miller was a very good coach. They always had very fantastic records. They made the second weekend multiple times, but they could never make it to the last, to April. Uh, the only reason Sean Miller was let go was because of all the NCAA violations or, or potential there to, to be uh, caught for NCAA violations. If, if it wasn't for that, I feel like Sean Miller would still be the head coach for Arizona. Um, I think when you start getting into it is, is when they hit the Big Ten and they're not consistently one of the top two teams in the conference and they're not consistently winning, you know, what? 17 games in conference and, and, and 30 or 28 overall. Um, but I think for right now, if they go through and, and they win 30 games and they make the sweet 16 and then lose a game, they probably shouldn't. I still feel like he's safe. Uh, the, the, the shadow of those violations is a, probably not hanging over the program right now, but if it was like, that's going to be dissipated by the time they, they hit the big 12. So uh, I I think you're not going to start hearing anyone call for Tommy Lloyd's job until they hit the Big 12, a conference where a top 25 team can struggle. Mm -hmm. So so that's where it's going to really start. But but if he has a great season in the Pac-12, they're not going to like there's not going to be calls, I feel like, for a new head coach, especially as they're moving into a new conference. Go ahead, Josh. Let's stay on that theme for a second what whether it's to have nca tournament success or to just make the nca tournament to have a good season is there a coach or or two that you're looking at as everybody kind of goes their separate ways here in the next 12 months after this season that is under the most pressure to relative to expectations and relative to the program they're coaching have a really good season mike hopkins at Washington, I feel like he has the talent right now and the opportunity being in the Pac-12 to to make a really good run at a tournament. Uh, if he does that, you know, I think they keep him around during their transition to the Big Ten. If he doesn't, right? Remember, he's had a ton of talent and and hasn't really had the success to match. Uh, then you have to start talking about maybe 
maybe his his coaching philosophy is just not going to work, right? He's moving away from the zone this year. Um, you know, according to him and, and some of the other outlets that have that have uh, spoken with him. So he uh, it, it might look a little bit different, and he might be able to unlock some of that talent a little bit better. But I feel like right now it's Mike Hopkins. Uh, you could throw Jared Haas into that mix. I feel like he would have been gone if Stoyakovich hadn't committed to Stanford. Um, this feels like his, you've got one more chance. You've got one more star to to try and turn into something because he's gotten five stars, four stars, mm-hmm. plenty at Stanford, uh, and it just hasn't turned into, into anything. And because they turned down the opportunity to hire Mark Madsen, a Stanford alum uh, as their head coach uh, and Madsen went to their rival. If it doesn't work out for Haas, I feel like that's going to be a huge kind of black spot on, on the off season that that's going to be where people point to, look, you should have just brought in the, the coach that you thought was better, not let him, especially if they finish behind Cal. Cause I think Cal's going to be pretty good this year. Um, the only other team that I think, you know, you, Bobby Hurley, I think, saved himself a lot last year. And, and so I don't think he'll be on the hot seat. I, I would just say Haas and Hopkins. Uh, but Bobby Hurley, if, if they have an awful season, uh, you might start to hear those rumblings again. You, you also have that kind of built in for a lot of schools, right? The built in fresh start that might even that might even push something forward earlier than earlier than it would otherwise that maybe it's just okay we're 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 moving conferences it's kind of a a new start for everyone here in the athletic department maybe it's a an opportunity to to look somewhere else with with a coach kind of on the opposite end of coaches who might need a good season to save their job do you think what's the what's who's on the short list of teams that we might look up in January or we might look up in the the second week of February and they've put together a season that is really surprising people relative to, to the expectations that they had going into the season in November. I feel like the two uh, right there, the first one, Cal, I, I think people are still going to view Cal as a year away from being good um, just because they have a brand new head coach. They've been bad for so long but I real I really like this roster as a middle of the road Pac-12 team compared to where they have been the past what five years, which is bottom two. Um, and then Utah. Uh, look, I I think Utah brings in enough talent. Uh, it's Craig Smith's third season. He's a good coach. I think you know they went ten and ten last year, so right in the middle of the Pac-12. Um, I think if they they take that step forward, uh, they could easily finish top top five. They could be that fifth place team in the Pac-12, and, and you know maybe knock off Oregon or something like that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised. There is a fascinating collection of players coming into this conference this season, from Caleb Love to Xavier Wheeler to Eddie Lampkin. You can go down the list. Is there? one that stands out to you that you're most excited about, most intrigued by, maybe one you think is flying under the radar with somebody like Caleb Love getting so much attention that you feel like is going to be a big part of this conference's story this season? 
jeez. Um, I'm interested to see what Jalen Tyson does at Cal because he was pretty good at Texas Tech. We know Fardaz Amac knows the system uh, with Madsen. He played for Madsen at Utah Valley before transferring to Texas Tech. We know Jalen Cohn is a, is a high-volume scorer that uh, is a little bit undersized for his position, but he did pretty well at uh, Northern Arizona. For me, I think it's it's that Jalen Tyson. He's he's probably the guy for Cal this year. Like he, that's kind of where his ceiling is. Um, so I'm really interested to see that. Uh, and and the only other, you know, the other one is uh, Cody Williams for Colorado. Right, he has so much hype coming into this season. And I feel like Colorado needs him to deliver almost entirely on it if they're going to finish where people think they will in the top three or four of the conference. Let's get into let's get into some some team specific stuff and just kind of bouncing around uh, bouncing around the conference here with some specific questions about uh, about teams in the Pac-12. Let's start with with the team that's that's on your hat, USC. How do you so I, I kind of a two-part two-part question here. I mean, it's it's not uncommon for for USC to have a roster that ha- that is full of guys that you go, "Oh, I I like that guy and that's an impressive name." And and this year it's it's not it's not different whether it's Isaiah Collier or Vincent Uwachukwu, Boogie Ellis is back, Kobe Johnson. You've kind of touched on some of these some of these names. So the two questions I have for you here are: What do you feel like is the ceiling for this USC team, whether it's relative to the Pac-12 or relative to the country? And does how much did Bronny? factor into that and how much does his unfortunate med- and scary medical situation impact how you feel about this USC team with or if at some point they get him back on the floor this season for me I think the ceiling for USC is now without if if we're assuming Bronny doesn't come back I feel like sure. this, the ceiling is still sweet 16 elite eight and, and I think it's unfortunate Bronny and, and DJ Rodman got almost all of the press in the offseason because it's LeBron James and Dennis Rodman's kid, right? That, that's They're the third and fourth, maybe, best players on this team, right? You've got a one-two combo in that backcourt in Isaiah Collier and Boogie Ellis that is a top five backcourt in the country without Bronny James. So I feel like they're going to be really good. Bronny James gives them a different dynamic defensively. Uh, that I think Andy Enfield being the coach he is, especially on the defensive end, can really use. But if you've got Bronny James there, Kajani Wright, Iwachuku all coming off the bench, and you can run eight deep with those three guys, you know, coming in five, ten minutes into the game to 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 uh g- give your starters a rest. Like that's a that's a team that can make the final four. Um but again you need to you need to understand that Hard issues, uh, and there's two of them on this team, right? You've got Bronny, you've got you've got Vince. Those things are not easy to predict, right? They're, they're, it's not a it's not a standard injury where you once you're back, you're back, right? Like they they continue have they're going to continue to have to monitor it. Um, you know, play minutes 
around what they think they can. Uh, so right now, I'd say USC would probably be a pick that a team that I would could easily see making a, an elite eight run. Um, but if Bronny and, and Ibachuku can can play a full season and, and can play full, you know, fifteen to twenty minutes uh, in the tournament or more, this is a team that could could make it to Phoenix. You mentioned Colorado and Cody Williams. That was the next team I wanted to ask you a little bit more about. I absolutely love Eddie Lampkin. I think he's getting slept on as one of the most impactful transfers in the country, maybe. You seem to have some reservations about if Cody Williams is not everything that he is expected to be, how far this Colorado team can go. You've got so many pieces coming back. There's an awful lot of talent here. What do you feel like the best case scenario is for this team if Cody Williams is what he appears to be? And do you see this as a very clear-cut top 25 team, Sweet 16 should be the expectation, or do you feel like there's some work that needs to be done or some things you need to see to be convinced that this team is sitting in the rankings all season and right up there near the top of the Pac-12? Yeah, I currently have Colorado unranked. Um, I think, you know, if they can get, if Cody Williams lives up to the hype and they can get valuable critical minutes for one or two of their other freshmen, redshirt freshmen, I'd probably see them in the top 25 most weeks. Uh, Their ceiling for me right now is still sweet 16. Um, Cody Williams doesn't need to be the scoring star. We can get that because Tristan Da Silva is that guy. KJ Simpson will give you scoring. Uh, I'm not sold on Eddie Lampkin in this rotation as, you know, what Eddie Lampkin could be at TCU. Uh, I also don't know if Eddie Lampkin is capable of playing 25, 30 minutes a game. And, and I look, their other bigs are freshmen. And freshman bigs are notorious for being inefficient, foul happy. Um, and, and so we're just going to need to see where that goes, because if, if they have to run Tristan De Silva at the five for 20 minutes a game, like that's not a team that I'm really sold on. Because uh, if, if, if Jop or, or, or Hurlbert, the two freshman bigs, uh, don't step in and, and provide those valuable minutes, then you're looking at a, rotate, a, a lineup where you've got De Silva at the five, maybe probably what Luke O'Brien or Cody Williams at the four, um, and I just that's not a lineup that excites me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off my excitement on Colorado. I still think they're third or fourth in the in the Pac-12. I'm just I'm I'm notoriously wary of freshman freshman rotations that I haven't seen before. Well, speaking of freshman rotations, the other team I wanted to ask you about in that vein is UCLA. This is a fascinating collection of players who have never played college basketball before. And then you've got Adam Bona and Dylan Andrews. But we're talking about, right, this collection of top 100 recruits, guys who are potential one and dones coming from the international game and all of the unknowns that come with that. Clearly, there's an awful lot of talent Mick Cronin is working with here. What do you even make of just the the massive overhaul of this roster? And 
how good do you feel like these freshmen are going to be? And do you share those same concerns with a team that's going to be so heavily reliant on so many freshmen? I almost have more concerns about UCLA than I do about Colorado. Because remember, Colorado, they have a lot of freshmen, right? And they're not losing two of their program staples in the process of bringing these freshmen in. And by the way, if if freshmen from the States have trouble adjusting, freshmen from internationally have perhaps more trouble adjusting to the, the college game, the, the NCAA game. So Adem Bona, I have no issues. I think he's the best player on this roster. I, I think he and uh, Lazar Stefanovic are going to be great scoring forwards uh, and wings for for this this team. Dylan Andrews, Will McClendon rotating in and out at the one doesn't isn't Tiger Campbell, but I think it could get the job done to get them to a tournament. Um, I would be surprised if this was a second weekend team. I'll, I'll leave it. There. I, I think they're good. I think they're probably top 35, top 40. But I would be surprised if all of the freshmen work out in the way that Mick Cronin wants them to in year one to get them to a sweet 16. What have you heard specifically about the the international freshmen? I mean, these are these are guys who are we're talking about potential, you know, potential one and done, potential future lottery picks. They're not necessarily your typical international freshmen that are projects, and you kind of see what you get. These are really highly established international players just as somebody who follows this conference closely what have you heard about Inade Mara and what what do you expect him in particular to see this season with so many holes that need to be filled and replaced from last season's team yeah I think Ade Mara is probably going to come off the bench which is good like he he's not gonna have to start <laughs> obviously they're going to start a Dembona at the at the five and Mick Cronin hasn't been one to to play two towers uh in the middle i think you're going to see uh i'm gonna butcher his name first uh um uh start i have heard from people who have spoken with mick cronin that he is basically i don't even want to say a poor man's he he is a version a bigger version of jaime jaquez or that is what his ceiling can be um which if that's that's the ceiling, that's great. And then, uh, look, you're going to have probably a long guard. If they don't start both Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon, then you're probably going to have like a Jan Vide starting at the two, um, which I think could, could do well defensively, especially with the way Mick Cronin likes to play his defense. So uh, I, I am interested to see what this, what this lineup looks like because at its best, Kenneth Nuba is just a role piece. Um, but if they don't step up, then you're looking at a sixth and seventh man of Will McClendon and Kenneth Nuba, or 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 potentially a sixth man of Nuba and, and Will McClendon starting, which again, if that's where they are, it's going to be a relatively down season versus what UCLA has had the last two or three. Do you think there's a... Is there a team in this conference that you are considering a true national title contender when the season starts in November? When the season starts, no. 
Um, I think the closest one to it, based on what we know, is Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, they, they have a center that I think could be a center on a national title contender. They have a uh, a four-man that was on a national... Like, he was on the runner-up last year, Keyshad Johnson. Um, I, I just... That backcourt for me, you need to see more from it to really... I mean, Caleb Love led his team to a national <laughs> title game, too. So they've right. got two guys who have played in the national title game. Uh, but we don't know what Boswell or, or Larson or Bradley or Visar are going to give you. So I'm going to hold off on on proclaiming them national title contenders. I think at their ceiling, it's probably USC. I think USC has the talent to be the national title contender that we all think they should be. Uh, but I think for right now, I'm going to say no. Uh, but if it's one, if if there is one, it's going to be one of those two. Yeah, I, I I ask because I'm and I'm a big believer in, or I'm at least hesitant, just kind of by instinct to throw teams into true national title conversations when at least some part of their program hasn't done it before, whether it's program success in general, coach success, player success, but it almost feels like, you know, Arizona, you already talked about how Sean Miller, they never went to a final four under Sean Miller either. And of course we touched on the NCAA tournament stuff and even the guys like Caleb Love, who have been, who are a part of that run, uh, maybe, maybe you know, I'm not giving him the credit he deserves, but I think there are the reasons why maybe you don't feel super confident in that a second time around are are pretty evident. But um, it's it feels like the last, you know, even though the Pac-12 hasn't had that depth necessarily the last few years and it feels like there are only three or four high quality teams even in those years there was a team that really felt like it had the juice to 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 make a deep run that there were teams despite the conference not being super strong that had real aspirations of making a deep run and maybe in this year where there's more depth um that it doesn't have that tippity top, tippity top, uh, a talent that is kind of a shoe in for the national title conversation right when the season starts. Yeah. And, and, and remember, like Arizona has two players that have been to a national title game. Their head coach was the first assistant and heir apparent to a program, and they went to two national yeah. title games. Oregon has a coach that's been to a Final Four. UCLA has been, had a coach that's been to a Final Four. So the coaches have that, 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 um, experience. Uh, Arizona, I believe, is the only one with players that have that experience. But you're looking at a bunch of brand new teams, and and not ones with the talent of like a Duke or a Kansas or well, Kansas is not entirely brand new, but like a Duke or a Kentucky, sure. where you know the talent is the top of the top, right? USC brings in a, a five-star. Colorado brings one in, but the rest of the pieces around them were not traditionally viewed as five stars coming into college. So uh, well, it's just wait and see at, at this point. Um, if you told me the Final Four had Arizona and USC, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be, or I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be surprised, but I, but I wouldn't be like, oh, that's out of left field. That you know, how did, how did that happen? 
uh, it, you know, it wasn't like anything crazy happened. Like they, those two teams are, are good enough. Uh, it's just, can they do it four games, five games in a row to get to a title game? Final question from me. When we get to selection Sunday, get to conference tournament March, and we're starting to kind of form the narrative for the NCAA tournament. What, where do you feel like the PAC 12 is going to fit into that conversation? How do you, I know this is asking you to look into the future a little bit, but how do you feel like we're going to look back on this season for the conference by the time we get to postseason play and are talking about who are our favorites for national, you know, to win the national championship, how many teams each conference is getting in, where the conferences stack up, all of those conversations we have every season come March. I think we're going to be looking at this as kind of almost the perfect swan song to the Pac-12. Um, it's going to be one of the deepest years for the Pac-12. They're going to be on par, at least in terms of the number of teams that I think could get into the uh, tournament as like the Big Ten, the Big East. Um, they're not going to win the national championship. I, I'm, I'll say that right now. A Pac-12 team will not win the <laughs> national championship, which I feel like is the perfect swan song because it's like if they won – then it's like, oh, they won it now, they're going away. Uh, but if if you don't expect them to win, you know, getting, I think they'll probably get six teams in, um, getting six teams in and, and having two or three more that, that go into the NIT and can make some noise in, in those two tournaments. Uh, I, I feel like it's going to be good. You know, you're you're going to look at Oregon State as probably being better. And if that's the worst team in your conference and it's getting better, that's that's positive as well um and then they're going to go their separate ways and people are going to be upset and then they're going to realize oh we get to see arizona play kansas and texas tech and uh all these other teams houston and and baylor every you know twice a week uh we get to see ucla take on michigan and michigan state and purdue and and those teams twice a week like sign me up and so I think it's going to take a while. I think it's going to take about a year after this season to be like, okay, the, the breakup of the Pac-12 was actually a good thing. But I feel like this season was a, is going to be a good season to end on. Love ending on an optimistic note there. Hopefully it comes to fruition. Thank you so much for taking the time to provide your Pac-12 expertise. Kind of, we always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. And, and sorry if my son was making too much noise. He uh, <laughs> he's he gets into everything nowadays. So <laughs> no worries. We will just uh, we'll add him to the uh, to the feature on the title of the episode as well. We'll get, we'll get him in there as well. Thanks so much, Connor. All right, thanks. Thank you so much, Connor. Once again, at Hoops Hope CBB on Twitter. Um, always a pleasure to catch Connor and uh, talk some some men's basketball in the Pac-12. I am so fascinated by this conference this season, truly. Yeah. Of just what in the world is going to happen? <laughs> because there are so many question marks, so many interesting possibilities, but things you don't actually feel confident in. Very few known quantities, I feel like. I, this is... I am ready for Pac-12 basketball. We need to be paying more attention to Pac-12 
I guess you can call it Pac-12 after dark. I mean, football's off to a great start like we were talking about. Hopefully that mm-hmm. continues into basketball as well. Caleb Love at Arizona not going smoothly is probably the thing that I'm putting the most stock into this year. Like of the things I've passionately talked about in the preview series, um, Caleb Love is probably like, like I am adamantly against any basketball team that, that, that um, employs the services of Caleb Love in a very, in a very, serious way so um if that goes really really well at arizona then you could have then you could have a couple really good teams or if arizona doesn't do well this year then you know usc isn't exactly launching themselves into the elite of the elite conversations when they have a really good basketball team so there's that side of it as well that talent doesn't necessarily translate to elite outcomes when it comes to to usc um, so it could, we could go one of two ways. We could have several really, really good basketball teams in this conference this year, or we could have several that's a kind of leave things to be desired. Yeah. Plenty of very interesting storylines to unfold heading into everybody dispersing after this season and kind of where all of these programs are going to be at based off of what happens this season. If that reinforces recent trends, or if maybe something looks like it's going to be different as they head into their new conferences. hundred percent. You got anything else on the PAC 12 or Arizona, USC, Connor? I, I did read. I did read this morning that Caleb loves two point field goal efficiency. I believe it was increased rather notably last season throw it out there uh, okay <laughs> great super happy it was i was just caught off guard by it because that's not something i necessarily would have expected His i believe that is what i read in, in one of the athletic pieces we shall see i kind of find that hard to believe i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie to you let's see okay okay it did it did take a sizable jump now his now he took he took almost a full three pointer more last season, and it dropped from thirty six percent to twenty nine point nine percent. And his overall field goal percentage didn't move. So I'm not sure I care that it jumped eight percentage points in two point field goal range because if he's just going to shoot eight threes anyways and make only twenty nine percent of them, yeah, I don't really care. I don't really care. But um, that is a factually correct statement. That his that he saw a sizable jump in his two point field goal percentage. So good job, I, Caleb Love. I still have no faith in you. I figured there was a reason why that that statistic in particular was the one that was highlighted. That would be why. Yeah, yeah. His he 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 dropped ten percentage points in from the free throw line. Um, you know. Turn the ball over just as much. I just I don't have any faith, but good for him. I'm really excited. Most for interesting team in college basketball. Yeah, you're probably right. I think you're probably right. All right. That's all we've got for you on the Pac-12. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube channel as well. If you missed our uh, conversation with Matt Majenski about the SEC and Kentucky basketball that is on our feed and on our YouTube channel if you want to backtrack and catch that 
as well. This is podcast number eight of what will be at least 12. There's more than that, right? We'll have a couple mm-hmm. like big picture like awards and big picture things yeah. at the end. So, so conference specific uh, pods previewing the season. This is number eight of 12. Um, you can catch all eight that are already up or seven, I suppose, other than this one uh, on our YouTube channel and our podcast feed. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.